Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to another episode on the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have one of my favorite TikTok creators, Hassan. It's killing it on the social media game, to be honest. I'm pretty sure you've definitely seen or heard his voice on TikTok. So Hassan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I've heard lots of great things with the Asian Hustle Network and I've seen enough clips of like creators that I'm obsessed with to be like, okay, if they hit me up, I have to be on this immediately. So my goodness. So glad we were able to connect through via TikTok. And I want to dive into, deep into your story. I want to hear about who you are, how you got into content creation. I have watched bits and pieces about you here and there, about how you started on YouTube. Like, what is that, 10 years ago? Yeah, right? just about. <laughs> yeah, I want to dive deep into that and hear about your journey. Yeah. So a decade ago, I was just lonely kid like everybody else in 2011. And I didn't have a lot of friends at school. I grew up in Southern Alabama. I was Asian. So I wasn't playing youth group soccer after, you know, church on Sundays. I was, I was at home. So I didn't really get to connect with a lot of kids, but what I was doing was watching a ton of YouTube and there was, you know, Ryan Higa and Kev Jumba and like those guys, it's like, I don't want to just be a creepy fan that stalks them that becomes their friend. I want to be like a peer. So the only way to do that is to try and make these YouTube videos that I like watching so much. So I, I picked up my old iPod touch and I started filming YouTube videos and they were off the pill rant videos like Ryan or the occasional skit like Kevin. And I, and I really leaned further and further to that. It was terrible. I couldn't edit anything. Like I, I had no idea how to do it. And Movie Maker always crashed on me. It sucked. It was a, a terrible time to start YouTube for me. But throughout that process, I discovered I had like an innate love of like the creativity aspect of it. And then when Vine came around, Vine was great because Vine, you didn't have to edit. It was 6.5 seconds. So if you could be funny for six seconds in one continuous line, you don't have to come up with a really great editing gag. So I leaned into that for a few years. And then through Vine, I got a little bit more confidence and was also simultaneously doing YouTube. And when I hit my stride on Vine, I actually, I got voted most likely to be a famous YouTuber my senior year of high school. is like a senior year superlative. It's goofy and stupid. I had to wear like a little a laminated paper, a piece of paper that said that most likely to be a famous YouTuber or whatever. That day, Jake Paul was in my town and this is years ago. So it's before any of his controversy. So I went to go film a couple of videos with Jake Paul as, as Mickey and, and did a bunch of things with him. And then that day they were like, by the way, Vine is ending. So we're not, we're not going to carry this over. I think I hit 10,000 followers that day too, which is at the point, the highest I'd ever gotten in social media. And I'd been doing it for like two years now and it was over, but I, I, I was left with like this level of peace. I had a lot of friends. I think at the, at the time I had a girlfriend, I was just really content with what my life looked like. I don't need to chase internet friends. I have plenty of real life stuff going. And then, you know, you get dumped, the friends move, you go to a college. that's not like your cup of tea. You're not really a good college student and you end up feeling a little bit empty. And, and in that emptiness, I remembered that like my favorite thing was like working on something cool and funny. So I tried YouTube again. 
and I did it a lot more sporadically over the years. I think I, I never really committed to being a YouTuber again because I've always had trouble with like this part where I'm like talking directly to a camera. And, and I, it's so hard to like people think you can grab a camera and hate something and talk something about Cody Ko and just be like, oh, man, this thing's so ridiculous. And you'd be hilarious. It's really hard to be naturalistic in that tone. And it was I was never my strong suit because I think I was always a lot nicer. I don't think I had that like legitimate edge to be on camera and to be disrespectful of something, but in a way that is 90 percent humorous. It, it felt like if I did it, it felt almost mean spirited. So it took me a while to really find my niche. TikTok rolled around. I was hanging out with some friends. One of my my friend's brothers decided he wanted to be a barber. So we we just like all hang out in his basement while he cut like 30 people's hair. And uh, there's a guy there who was just like, dude, you got to go upload all your old vines to this app called TikTok. I was like, fuck no, I will not do that. I'm not using TikTok. I didn't use Musical.ly back in the day. I'm not going to use TikTok. So obviously I went home and I downloaded TikTok like immediately. And I uploaded all my old vines within... 24 hours, I had 10,000 followers on TikTok. And I, I uploaded like three or four videos. And then within a week of that, I had 25,000. And within my first month, I had 100,000. So I was like, okay, this is great. And I hadn't even made like a new piece of content. I really was just making what was true and like just uploading the classics. And then I re-upped into my old Omegle series. That used to be a really big part of what I did where I just talked to strangers, whether as, as me or as Mickey and just like riff and do improv humor. And when I was Mickey, I had that edge where I could be as like malicious and mean and as like really lean fully into my humor, into my improv with Without having to feel the backlash of like, ah, oh, man, maybe I'm being, you know, insensitive or rude or disrespectful or anything like that. So that really gave me an edge and those videos did really well. And then, you know, TikTok plateaued. It, TikTok hit a stride. I think I got up to 175, 185,000 followers. And then the pandemic year happened. And during that year, there was a lot of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement happened. There was a lot of things in the news that for me as a young 20 something person who grew up watching Philip DeFranco videos and wanted to be the host of The Daily Show as a child, like this felt like the time to talk about things that really mattered. So I took some time. I covered a lot of what was happening in downtown Birmingham. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. So we were a big part of the civil rights movement. So during the Black Lives Matter movement, we were a big part of that. So I was literally down there the night that like the curfews were inflicted and then like half the downtown was destroyed. And, and I was there firsthand. So I got to see the difference between a protester and a looter. And they were just not the same groups of people. They were just all around there. And I discussed it on TikTok. And TikTok's immediate reaction was to, I know a lot of people throw the term shadow ban out there and they, they, they don't know what it means. And they think it's like, my video didn't perform this week. And that's why I'm shadow banned. Shadow ban was that at 180,000 followers, six people would see my videos for a year. No one saw it. And I, and I just started making stuff for fun. I, I wasn't, the pandemic took a lot out of me emotionally, mentally. Like I had a lot of other familial stuff going on. So I wasn't as like engaged in, in trying to be a content creator. I still had my funny idea on occasion and I would toss that up there. I was streaming with a couple of YouTubers that are really good friends of mine. They were the Sugar Pine 7 boys and we were playing Fortnite every day and we were streaming that. So I developed a little bit of like an online personality in the streaming space, but nothing to nothing to brag about, but it was, it was fun. I had a small community that I really loved and really appreciated. And, uh, I went and took a trip to LA just to see some friends. And one of them had moved from Birmingham and he is a TikToker. So he pulled me into this like TikToker meetup thing. And, uh, my, my hack me hairbrain, just ridiculous tinfoil hat theory is that when a bunch of verified TikTokers followed me, it was that week that all of a sudden my TikTok account was getting views again. It was getting seen by other people. So like, I had like theorized that like at the time, TikTok you used to, when, the more followers you had, if you were verified, your likes and your comments used to hold more weight. You could almost make someone's video go viral. So I thought maybe like this is like unlocking my account and I'm off the, the shadow ban track. So I had fun in LA. I came back. I started making random videos, but I re-upped the Omegle series. All I was really doing was remastering my old videos. I was putting captions and censoring cuss words. And then I started to film new stuff and I hit a stride. I 
never seen before where I'd gone from losing 10,000 followers over the course of a year because I wasn't able to grow anymore to gaining nearly 500,000 in a week, which is like crazy. It was crazy growth. And uh, it was a really fun time. That was December of 2020. And we were, I mean, riding this incredible wave of creativity and people were going on Omegle.com just to find me because that series had become viral. Everyone on TikTok was then making Omegle videos because the videos got hundreds of millions of views. And when January and February rolled around, TikTok took a clear stance that they didn't really want Omegle videos on their platform anymore. So anyone who's making Omegle content, plateaued again. So I took another like two months where I wasn't really growing anymore. And I was, you know, TikTok had seemed like in December, like it could be my full-time job. Like I could leave real estate and and go do that. And then it kind of wasn't, it wasn't the track. And March, I think, yeah, March, March 3rd, 2021, I bought the puppet prior so that I could make the, the Omega videos more animated. And there was this guy on TikTok, Donald Duck with two C's. He was doing just like, it's a very generic, like, let me just do the impression and like point out what I'm looking at. It's just like, if I'm Donald Duck reacting to you and be like, oh boy, look, look, he's got a a neon light behind him and a microphone. Like it's not funny. It's just observant. And it has an impression on it. Right. I was like, I could, I could probably do better. I could, I could just make this really funny. So I started to react to videos as Mickey and it just exploded. It was an incredible thing. And it it took me from that 500,000 to the end of the month, I was at a million and I kept growing and I I plateaued, I plateaued. It was like two weeks where I wasn't growing at a rapid pace. I was only gaining 10,000 followers a week, plateaued my ass. I don't know. I should be so grateful of that time period. And then I came out with this video where I reacted to a guy like putting his shoes into dirt and he had like the water proof ceiling on it. So they splash in water and it disappeared. And I just like yelled as Mickey doing that. And that video got like a hundred million views. And that video completely changed the narrative because in all of my videos for the next two months performed, I would put, upload eight videos a day every day because I believe that that cadence was the one that worked best on TikTok. I would do that. And then from the hours of 11.30 p.m. to 3.30 a.m., I would live stream every night because TikTok had just released Duo Lives and I was going to gamify that system. And it worked really well. If in that period of time while I was asleep, I would gain 5,000 followers. If I was streaming, I would gain 25,000. So I was like, okay, this is genius. I'm going to keep doing this. And I was loving it. I was loving every second of it. I felt more creative than I'd ever felt before. I was gaining followers like crazy. I mean, by the end of June, I had like 3 million. By the end of July, I had 5 million followers. And it was this incredible moment. And then TikTok dropped the the band hammer. They decided that they were going to change their content moderation policies. At the same time, increase their punishments without increasing their creator support to appeal those punishments and those problems. So I would get random videos taken down and then I'd get a one week posting ban. And then that one week would turn into a month. And then eventually they started to delete my account where I'd have an account one day and that 5.3 million followers. And then I wouldn't even exist on the platform the next day. And it would take me months and months and weeks of petitioning and campaigning and complaining on other social media platforms for someone to catch wind and then restore my account. But it was always a glitch. They, they always deleted my account unintentionally. So it left me in a really, really scorned position because I was well on my way. I think at my peak, people don't make a lot of money on the TikTok creator fund. I don't make a lot of money in brand deals because I'm you know using a licensed character and I cuss a lot in my videos, but I managed to make the, the creator fund work. I was making like at my peak, like almost 7.5 grand a month on the, the creator fund, which we know pays pennies on the dollar, any other platform. And I would have been making tens of thousands of dollars, but then TikTok, you know, they, they deleted my account. So I hemorrhaged a lot of followers. And then every time I came back, it was posting ban and it was always violation. The glitch we, we found out later was that every time you got a violation, whether they restored it or not to this day, it sits on your account as a violation. So TikTok system is broken, not to turn this into the TikTok complaining thing, but it left me in a really vulnerable state. 
At the same time, I was uploading all my videos onto YouTube Shorts because YouTube has always been the tried and true platform. And I knew I was going to go back to YouTube when I had enough watch hours to monetize it because I didn't want to make YouTube content and not get paid for it. So as soon as I had the watch hours that were required, I started to post long form Omegle videos on YouTube and then just a bunch of shorts. Every time I had anything made on TikTok, it would go up on YouTube. And YouTube hit the stride in that August, July, the same time TikTok was deleting my account. I had my stride on YouTube. In a month, I went from 5,000 to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is incredible because that's that's far bigger of accomplishment than getting 100,000 followers on TikTok. The weight of those followers is really different. And I slowly continuously grew on there. So TikTok became less of a priority because I was able to make more than more than I could have imagined on YouTube. And YouTube became like my full source of income. I left my full-time job. I became a full-time creator and it was incredible. And I've definitely had a great time with YouTube into 2021 into 22, not as much. I haven't really grown as much and the algorithms haven't smiled upon me the same way, but it's still capable of making a living. And I've, I've really grown on Instagram. And while Instagram, we all know does not pay out Adam Asari, while he loves his little talks and gives us NFTs, he hasn't really figured out the creator economy into paying creators properly, but I've been supplementing my income using that. And I finally have a good management team working on brand deals and stuff for me. So that's what I'm working on now. I've, I've been back on TikTok. My numbers on TikTok have never been better. At the same time, they banned me from the creator fund. So I did the math in the last three months alone on views. I lost out on about $11,000, which once again, that's crazy as far as views are concerned, because it's so hard for creators to make money on TikTok. But uh, they banned me from the creator fund and then I appealed it and then they never answered my appeal. So if anybody knows anybody at TikTok, let me <laughs> slide them. My name and say, hey, he spoke at YouTube's AAPI event. Maybe we would let him just be part of our AAPI community because I've emailed so many people and I've never even gotten into the Asian creator community on TikTok. It was actually astounding that I got into it at YouTube. And then uh, Team YouTube's been incredible. The, the Shorts Creator community, I've been a huge part of that since it began. I've been a speaker for them multiple times, both virtually and then like in New York City at the Galaxy Creator Collective, as well as most recently in New York City, speaking at the Asian Creator event, just getting to talk on that panel. So it's been YouTube has welcomed me with open arms and made me feel like the creator I've always wanted to be. TikTok has continued to give me that little chip on my shoulder. I'm always trying to prove something to somebody. <laughs> so that's that's more or less my story. I think we're all caught up on that. Dude, that's, that's quite an amazing story. Congratulations on all your successes, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think I was with you around that time. I mean, following you when you were banned from TikTok, right? And I saw, I saw the screenshots on your IG stories. I saw everything, right? And to be honest, like I was following along when your YouTube was blowing up. Right. Yeah. Because I remember clicking on your YouTube profile from your TikTok and noticing that I want to say at the time it was like 56,000 subscribers and all of a sudden it just ballooned. Right. And I noticed yeah. your TikTok start going crazy and people were starting to catch on to the Mickey Mouse theme as well. Right. Because I, I mean, you kind of called me crazy, but I was looking through all your old videos too, wondering like, because for me, I'm always studying as well. Like I'm always, I love the social, I like the social media discovery game where it's like you've tried to figure out the algorithm trying to see what works what doesn't work so i was looking through all your stuff to see like when did you blew up right and i'll give you a lot of credit too because that's when i stumble upon more about yourself even before we were introduced by by drexley shout out to drexley you were one of the creators that i was following a lot and i love your humor you know i think i was there i think you're right one of the first videos I saw that was very memorable is the white shoes that you were screaming, <laughs> right? And I was there when you made a couple other funny videos on Instagram as well, right? So, so shout out, give yourself a lot of credit. I also follow your stories too. So I noticed that, you know, you do, you've been very involved with YouTube content creators. I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but I also knew the girls in Alabama through, <laughs> through your social media as well. Hey, no, I love an observant person. I appreciate that. I feel like I always get questions of like, hey, are you going to be at Disneyland today? And it's like, 
like, no, dude, I've been there like three times. I just filmed a lot when I was there. So I made it look like I'm there all the time. Yeah. But it's nice to know when somebody knows I'm from. I'm an old Bama boy. I'm not, nothing's changing anytime soon for me. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. I know we mentioned earlier and you're not feeling well right now. Do you have your Mickey Mouse character next to you? Uh, not next to me. I think he's actually in my car, but this closet is full of puppets. So oh I, I have one of the replacement ones. Hold on. Make <laughs> grab it. Oh. And for our listeners, uh, He's like going to grab his one of his Mickey Mouse right now. You can also check this out on YouTube. It's going to be in video form as well. Well, that's pretty cool because he has his Mickey Mouse character, but not a lot of people know that I I have an Elmo character as well. You have an Elmo character? <laughs> Terrifying. I love Elmo. Yeah, so, so this puppet, they discontinued it. So... My closet is full of puppets. I bought all the ones that were left because I was like, I might need a replacement. I never use any of these because they're so like rigid and mine is so like worn in that I could do like funnier expressions, but I still have all of these just in my closet. I never once in my life wanted to be a puppeteer. I kind of hate puppets if I'm being honest. (laughs) <laughs> but it was the best avenue to like do improv comedy, you know, put in, put a spin on something that is so iconic. There's now a generation of people that think of me as Mickey Mouse before they think of like anything that Walt Disney Company has done recently. I've been more prominently Mickey in pop culture. So there's definitely like a level of yeah. as somebody who's a lifetime fan and grew up enjoying it to to have your own relationship with the character. Like that's really definitely cool. I'm going to have to ask you legality question. Has Disney ever gone after you? No, we're in a, we're in a spot where Disney and I are we're great. We're we're not going to work together on anything anytime soon or not not with Mickey. I think me and Disney might do some PR stuff in the future, but yeah, they're not they're not angry about it. I think most of the people who work on the PR teams and like that I've I've been able to talk to love the the stuff and they don't think I'm going to get taken down because it does fall so heavily into parody. Like you couldn't make a case that it's not parody content. So how could you possibly take that down? And it's, you know, I don't, I don't monetize the likeness. I'm not selling the puppet. I'm not selling merch of the puppet, but uh, Disney in 2024, when your copyright is up, you can bet your ass I'll do that. Absolutely. Seconds later, you're going to get my version of the puppet for sale. But uh, until then, you know, I do a good job of respecting the boundaries of, of what they are okay with. And they're, they're really cool with me. I, I, I never thought I'd be in a position to where I have the mouse in a stalemate, but they know that the backlash of them taking down my account would be everybody coming down their throats for free speech and parody and all this stuff. And they don't want that. So there's like a currently, I think on TikTok right now, where there's this Lightning McQueen guy who had a car that's designed like Lightning McQueen, the character. And he's like, he got a cease and desist from Disney. I don't know the guy. I can't speak to anything. I think it's a fake story because I don't think Disney is dumb enough to do that because it's, it's just such an instant, like it's the internet versus Disney and they love that stuff. And if if they, that would only make me more famous. Hell, if Disney wants to come after me, fine by me. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm not trying to phase Mickey out, but I'm definitely phasing myself into all the content a lot more. So, hey, if I have to forcefully not make Mickey Mouse videos anymore, I'm not going to be too upset about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good point, right? And I hope I hope everything, everything's going to be okay. I feel like if anything, like you're making Mickey Mouse more prominent in today's in today's world. Right. You're giving him a personality. You're still constantly, you're still basically using the same voice, the iconic laugh, the, the, the high pitched voice, high pitched tone. Yeah, we, we, I tried. I did a good job. I think it was probably it was well into like the first month of me doing the reaction videos. I decided that I was no longer going to do a pitch and tone accurate Mickey, a really capable voice actor. So I was doing like exactly what I hear on screen. I was replicating that voice, and I decided to raise the pitch and to speed up the voice so I could react to things faster, and so that it, the voice had its own iconicism and resonance. And that was a tough choice because when I was a lot younger, when I was doing the occasional Mickey video on Vine, it was very much like. 
I took a lot of pride in being so accurate and pitch and tone accurate. It was like my favorite thing of like, look at my perfect Mickey voice. It's better than most people's. And it was at the time, but I have a lot more fun with like, let me create my own version of stuff for now. Yeah, especially the parts where you have Mickey talk in a British accent. Yeah, that just happened because I couldn't maintain the voice because I was sick. So I just like went from a Mickey Mouse voice that was weak to my own voice with a shitty British accent. And then I called it, I think like the week before I found out that Mickey's like middle name was Theodore. And I was like, why did no one ever talk about that? And I just called him Michael Theodore Mouse. People went crazy for it. Man, I wish you were. I wish you were feeling a lot better today, because I'll be asking for that impression. But we can always ask. Oh for that my later. gosh! <laughs> yes, hopefully it's warming up. I, I definitely just apologies to everybody listening. If you want to hear the Mickey stuff, I am just. I've not been this sick in so long. It's not COVID, thankfully, but it, you know, it's it sucks. All right, I'm going to ask you like a couple other questions. Right, I want. I'm curious to hear like what's next for you. Right, how. Are you taking this to the next level? I mean, a lot of content creators I meet on TikTok have aspirations to be actors, actresses in Hollywood, star in different Marvel films. What is your goal, right? Do you want to be a stand-up comedian? Do you want to continue doing what you do? What is the goal that you have? Well, unlike most TikTokers and most old school YouTubers, I'm not looking to throw away what I've accomplished to to try and succeed in a new medium. So I'm definitely going to end up like I am a stand-up comedian now and I've loved doing that. And I think I'm that is funnier and better than anything I do on the internet. That said, I'm not planning on doing less stuff on the internet. I'm planning on doing more. So the Mickey content is going to continue to stay the course. We're obviously hoping the algorithm pendulum swings back my way eventually, but we're, we're holding on hope. There's always ebbs and flows in content creation. It's always been that way. So we're focused on that. The Bad Days podcast is it's my, my brand, my narrative. It's about how your bad days are your best stories. So we've been leaning into that more and more because it's a good avenue for me to have improvisational comedic conversations with friends as well as other creators. And uh, working on personal standup, I've been adding myself to more and more content to make me a resonant character in the story because I think my YouTube fan base has it unlocked that like Mickey is a puppet and Hassan's the guy. TikTok, on the other hand, it's like, where's Mickey? I'll post a video that gets a million views. That's like a bad days video, just like a podcast clip or something like that. But they will just not shut up. They're just like Mickey, 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 me. I think they're, they're kids. I don't know. But I, uh, I definitely like get really frustrated about that. So finding a happy medium, my brand manager has been really adamant that like, hey, I love Mickey and we love the audience you've grown, but you kept your username Hassan Kader, unlike the Donald Duck guy who literally his username is Donald Duck with two C's instead of a K. You have your own brand resonance that exists outside of it. You've done so much as like a public speaker, as a creator. Don't completely box yourself in. So trying to take myself out of the box and continue to see, succeed. I think most recently, like my most successful videos on Instagram have actually been Hassan videos and not Mickey videos. So finding that balance, but I also take a lot more pride in videos that are purely me and not Mickey. So it's harder to put those out when it's like Mickey, I'm like, I can film, you know, eight in an hour. But when it's Hustin, it's like, I care a little bit more. It has to be a really, really funny idea for me to want to do it. So finding a balance, getting better at that, doing more stand up comedy for sure. But at no point leaving YouTube behind, I think Lily Singh got a TV show not long ago. And I know somebody on her team and the money that she made on the TV show was one tenth what she would have made in brand deals that year. And it didn't improve her chances at becoming a late night star later. Like it didn't, it didn't go over well. It wasn't really critically acclaimed and no hate to Lily Singh or anything like that. But a lot of YouTubers like Tyler Oakley became little Ellen DeGeneres on, on his thing. So you see a lot of YouTubers coming and fading rather than 
being resonant on their own platforms, which the platform itself is becoming more mainstream, but they're trying to jump to a ship that's actually becoming less mainstream. So making smarter decisions in them. I've been a creator for a decade. So I've seen, you know, I've seen your Ryan Higas who just Twitch streams for fun and isn't trying to be relevant anymore all the way down to your Shane Dawson's who will clot whatever they can to get back into the spotlight for 10 minutes and then fade back into obscurity. So finding a medium of like what makes the most sense for me and in, in my life. So. Yeah. I mean, that's really deep, clear perspective of what you have, what you want to do. Right. And I think that to be honest, it actually sounds great to you from a lot of content creators we have on the podcast too. It's like very, very clear what you want to do. And, and so I do, I do commend you for that. Right. And I'm kind of curious too, like, I want to hear more about your creative process and more importantly, your mental health. Right. Cause we know yeah. that content mental creation health. is hard, right? You have to think about all the time. You have to be obsessed in some ways. You have to consume a lot of content all the time. Right. How do you, how do you manage that? And like, tell yourself that, Hey, like I need a break. It's okay to take a break and I need to like, you know, let go and do nothing. Right. Go ahead. It's definitely something I've been struggling with a lot more recently. I've always been a big mental health advocate. I've been going to therapy once to twice a week, every day for almost two, or every week for almost two years now, almost two and a half years. And I love it. I love my therapist and I've made a lot of progress as a person. When it comes to content creation, it's really hard. Cause I, uh, you know, creative process wise, if I'm in a good headspace and I'm relaxed and I find the videos I want to react to, or I have the ideas in my brain, I could film like 40 videos in less than an hour. I, it's all one takes, it's all comedic improv. So I don't have to prep a joke. In fact, if I do think I need to prep a joke, I won't make the video because if, if I had to do more than one take, it's not funny. It's, it's a big philosophy of mine. So I, I was really good at it for a really long time. And I was, I was killing it because YouTube, the income was only going up. And then after December happened, I took three weeks off in January from long form, not from short form, just from long, because I was, I was sick. It was actually the first time I'd been sick in years and I was feeling miserable and I didn't want to live stream and come up with Mickey reacting to whatever. And I thought I could take those three weeks off, but my algorithm suffered pretty severely after that. I went from never having a video from when I was at 10,000 subs to now below a hundred thousand long form views. I, to this day, haven't broken a hundred thousand since January. Those three weeks off took me out of the algorithm and it really, really hurt my creative process and my, and my career. And that was really, really harmful. And I've been still working hard at it with, I have a really aware support system that is just always on point with like how I'm feeling about all this and when I'm depressed and, and when, when bouts of depression come, cause they come really often in this career track, it's really lonely. And a lot of people have ideas to fix it. Hey, just stop doing Mickey and just be hustling. It's like, if I could do that, I would have done that forever ago, but I create an audience that wants something like, how dare I not give them the thing that they want? I can give them more, but then it's like, when you come to the aspect of the more, it's like, how much more can your body physically handle? And it's when these algorithms algorithms aren't smiling upon, you know, it's like on Instagram or on YouTube, my views have never been lower on Instagram. My views have never been higher. You know, it's not the, the content itself. I think it should have gotten stale forever ago, but Hey, people still want Mickey videos. It hasn't gotten stale. It hasn't reached its maximum saturation. So you're seeing like hundreds of millions of views on Instagram now, and you're not even remotely cracking that on YouTube for the first time ever. I'm getting more Instagram views than YouTube views. So it's been a really ba a big balancing act. And I don't, I don't know if I have the answer yet as to like how to really handle that and how to stay centered. I talk about it a lot in therapy and I make sure that my support system is keenly aware of how to support me through it and, and how to be there for me. And uh, more recently, I've invested in an assistant, which has been a big godsend because I have, I've been able to just like cut out all of the busy work. I'm only doing the creation itself now. And then I'm working on the new channels because I think that's more my strong suit than, but yeah, I've been able to be more creative. I think most recently, like the videos that I posted yesterday and the day before on TikTok all did so much better in the view department than anything has in a long time. 
time. And it's because I'm creating from like a much more relaxed position. And I think I'm able to find those jokes a lot better when I'm comfortable. So trying to get comfortable again is what my goal is and really helping those algorithms swing one way. And, you know, I have some secret projects in the work as far as like me gamifying the algorithm on, on a couple brand new channels. And they, they've been progressing really, really well. Cause the main issue right now is that my, my content's no longer served on the shorts shelf. So it's not being seen by anywhere near as many people in like the shorts algorithm. I still have my like daily viewers. So that's how I'm keeping afloat. And I discovered that a lot of my, my fellow content creators that I've helped make the transition. I created the, the TikTok band victims chat during the, uh, when TikTok did what they did. And I've helped a lot of YouTubers or creators transition from, you know, create a uh, TikTokers who only have that as their only stream of income to Instagram users, to, to YouTube creators. And it's been amazing because a lot of them have really thriving careers, but I noticed the pendulum swung towards newer accounts. So we're currently messing with a brand new account that's uploading the same content, even the older videos, of that content to see if we can gamify the algorithm on a new channel to get content to be resurfaced. And so far it's been going really, really well. So mental health therapy is important. Having people in your life that are really aware of everything going on with you at all time. That's really, really important. Just taking time daily. Like I, I make sure to work out every day for an hour. Anytime I don't work out, I feel worse than if I hadn't. It, and it's not, it doesn't have to be an extraneous workout. I don't have to pump iron for, for three hours straight, but just an hour of being outside and going on a walk or an hour of being in the gym will do wonders towards your mental health and your exertion, because this is a very lonely, stressful, stressful career path. Man, thank you so much for sharing that to us, Ray. I know it's not easy uh, to put that all in the open for us to hear it, but it's, I feel like it's a lot of things that we go through as content creators, as entrepreneurs, as people hustling all the time, right? It's the hustle mentality and the hustle culture is so real. It's like, oh, if I stop, I'm going to fall behind. If I do this, I'm going to stop, I'm going to fall behind. But sometimes you do need to pause and reflect because that's the only way you realize if something's going wrong. Right. You don't want to be in a position where it's like it's too late. I'm already down this rabbit hole where I don't have my support system. I'm not honest with myself. I'm not taking the proper measurements to be healthy. Right. And you are right. Depression in this field is very, very common. Right. Sometimes you always see now, unfortunately, you do see pretty often your favorite content creators like, you know, ending themselves. And that's so sad. Right. Because that can totally be prevented. Right. Just by talking about it and having the proper proper support system around them. So thank you so much for sharing that. I know that, you know, in your early twenties, right. So like, there's definitely that, that I have unlimited energy. I have all the time. I'm going to conquer the world type mentality. And I really appreciate that too. But I do want to take a step back and talk about your life before content creation. I know you mentioned that you used to have a full-time job. I want to hear more about what you studied back in college and how that played into the person that you are today. Yeah. So I went to UAB, the University of Alabama at Birmingham for one semester. In that semester, I was a social media marketing major, but I was struggling a lot at that time period. All my friends had moved off to various parts of Alabama and the country. And I lived in my hometown and I was commuting from my parents' house to college. And at the same time, I had friends that were the year below me in high school. They were like a lot of my best friends, my ex-girlfriend, like all of them were there. And they weren't hanging out with me anymore because I was a weird college kid and I was no longer one of their friends, even though I was the same distance away I'd always been. So it was like one of the loneliest times of my life. And I think I'd never felt worse than I felt during that time period. I was constantly chasing after affirmation from from others. And because of a lot of that and that pressure, like I just didn't do well. Well in college. I did well. I think I got, I think I got great grades, but I had no ambition to continue. I didn't study for anything. I winged it. I don't know how I got A's and B's, but I did. I Asian mentality. I'm used to, if you pay any amount of attention in school, you can get a decent grade, but I knew that wasn't going to last forever. And I wasn't financially capable of continuing to go to college too. So I dropped it and I took my 60 hour real estate license course and I became a realtor. 
And I did that for the remainder of time until I became a content creator. So, you know, still engaging the skills I'd learned by being an on-camera person, like being capable of talking to people and, you know, connecting and using that in real estate. It was fun. It was a fun time. It was a good career track, but it was never my passion. So when I realized I could do this full-time and this be the only thing that I do, it wasn't a question of whether I should or not. It was just instant, you know, go straight ahead. So, yeah, I mean, it's good for us to hear your background story too. I think that's a little bit unclear on social media, but thank you for sharing that. (laughs) I try to, you know, I've been pretty adamant over the years. I feel like during that time period of being depressed and having your friends, like they're going to college, they're, they're in sororities and fraternities and they're at parties, they're meeting new people. They have all these new friends. Social media became this really big toxic pit of like always feeling inferior to the people around you, like always, and perpetually trying to put on an image on socials. That's like, Hey, look at me. Look, I have this. And I have that. I've become a lot more private while I am a public person. What's public is specifically what I've decided to be public rather than everything about my life. Like my relationship status is not for public consumption. Like things like that aren't, I try and keep most of my life as private as possible. Just just for the sake of like, maybe we'll toy around with the idea of it later. But at this point in life, I have nothing to prove. I don't, I think if I wasn't a content creator, I wouldn't be a social media user. I think I'd probably watch videos on TikTok and YouTube and that would be my limit. I think apps like Instagram, I don't really care what, Todd and his new wife are doing from high school. Like I don't, that doesn't matter to me. And a lot of it ends up being like really grandstanding of like, Hey, look at me. I still matter and I'm still relevant, but you reach a certain point where I don't know so many of these people like bowed out of my life during that terrible, like freshman year of college time period. And I had my face on a billboard in times square a week ago. And the amount of those people that were flooding my DMS, I didn't even read them. Cause I was like, okay, here we go. It's the usual thing. So I feel a lot more comfortable with like I keep my my private life off of social media, but I'm always down to discuss things that that matter. Yeah, I do agree. I feel like a lot of times social media is, is a highlight reel of most people's lives. Don't post bad things, right? But I'm so glad that you're using it strategically to, you know, build your online personality, you know, building your dreams, putting yourself in a stronger financial situations. That's why I think social media is extremely powerful. That's when you can do that, right? But if you use in the wrong hands, the wrong mentality, it's always a way for us to compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. And honestly, our lives are so different from each other. It's never apples to apples comparison. Like everyone's going through their own thing, their own demons, their own struggles, right? That you just have to figure it out on your own. So I'm really glad that, you're, that you absolutely made that clear for all of us to hear. So thank you. Of course. No, I think the comparison game and content creation is really dangerous because, you know, I have, I think, 8 million followers across social media. I have a friend. She's incredible in every way. She's got like 1.4 across everything. She's a fashion creator. She easily makes 10 to 20 times more than me a month because she's a brand deal. She's super brandable. But when you're playing that game of comparisons and if it's coming from a toxic point for me, I'm like, oh my God, go off queen. I love you. I'm so happy you're killing it. How can I help you in the view department? So you can also make equally as much as me in that department because you can't really help me in brand deals. Nobody can. It sucks. (laughs) Like how can I be of service or whatever? But a lot of creators will get caught up on that. I do know that like at my following size, if it wasn't Mickey Mouse, I would easily be a multimillionaire by now. That's not even in question. Like I would have, I haven't gotten a single long form deal in YouTube, but at one point I was pulling millions of views a month on long form and we know how much, you know, long form YouTubers have paid in past. So it's that comparison game is dangerous. It's not one that I tend to play. I'm really transparent and open when it comes to dollar amounts and monies. And when it comes to talking to creators, I'll tell you how much I've made to the decimal point because it's creators. We're coworkers. We're not trying to, why are we trying to compete with you? I think that was very, that was a really old guard YouTuber thing where they were like, mm, don't tell somebody your, what your AdSense payment is this month. Don't tell what your brand deal was like, try and get more from the company without talking to others. And now it's like, I've really worked hard at 
my little corner of the creator community through YouTube shorts, the TikTok band victims chat, the influence that I've had where I'm like, guys, we should share it. Don't feel uncomfortable, intimidated, whether you made a hundred bucks or $10,000, like talk about it because it's going to help all of us make more money in the long term. If we're aware of the prices, like we're not going to get screwed over in brand deals. So I've, I've run a lot of conversation, like let's, let's all talk about it. So we're not comparing each other in this really like toxic, like, oh man, this person gets to do this and this person gets to do that. There are scenes of the internet right now, like the comic book, TikTok, that all those people do that 24 seven. I've talked to so many of them and they're sitting there comparing to each other and they're all friends, but they hate each other. And it's, it's a very toxic environment. It's one that I've never been a fan of and I've never really like attempted to do at worst. I think the best comparisons are like me and my my friend Twice Shorts. We had like close to the same subscribers a couple months back and we were like neck and neck and we were just like one week Twy would be ahead and the next week I would be ahead. And then I completely fell off and Twice at like two million. He's killing it. I'm so proud of it. I think he actually might be at three million now, which is crazy because it's only been a couple months, but he's an incredible creator. But those are like the only competitions or like real competitive edges you ever get to of comparing your yourself to anybody in your field or anywhere else. It's just like if it's not for fun, it's not don't do it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I, nearing the end of the podcast, I have one final question for you. And that question is, what advice do you have for a content creator that's just getting started today? Right. As we know, TikTok and all these other platforms are getting more and more saturated. How do we stand out if we're starting today? You stand out by being a great content consumer. To be a great creator, you got to be a great consumer. And you make stuff every day, whether it is the thing you're going to make for the next 10 years or the thing you're going to make for tomorrow and then never again. You have to keep creating content to find something that works. The internet is this rapidly moving place, right? Like the Mickey videos should have gotten stale by now, but because of the size and scope of it, here they are getting hundreds of millions of views a year after they've been made at eight a day every day. Like think about the volume of that. So keeping in mind, like constantly watch you. Every time you're seeing a YouTuber really fall out of touch or come up with some trash content, it's because they're not watching content anymore. They think they're above it, right? So don't feel above it. The cultural zeitgeist is TikTok right now. So really resonating with what's going viral on TikTok, understanding what young people care about. I'm 23 and I've definitely aged out of what the mainstream, like what people are going after. They're going after the 18s, the 17s. Like I don't have as much resonance with that culture, but I understand it so I can craft content geared towards it. You know, doing that, you have to find a cadence that's comfortable. Content creation right now is about I hate to say it, it's about quantity, not quality. So you find your medium between quantity and quality. You find a cadence that works. The Mickey videos, the reaction videos used to be far more involved. They used to have camera shakes and captions and they they were way more heavily edited than they are now. But it was because how much can I strip away from this while still maintaining its integrity and its sense of humor and it's still being the same product. And I did that until it was at a comfortable position. So finding your posting cadence. Also, you're not a TikToker. You're not a YouTuber. You're not an Instagrammer. You're a content creator. Your content goes across all of the platforms, whether you like them or not. I don't like to, I don't like TikTok. I think that they're a company that is severely mismanaged and they've done little to nothing to help the creator economy out. And they've been a detriment to our lives, but I can't deny the fact that it is the number one thing in the, the cultural zeitgeist right now. TikTok defines trends. TikTok defines what everybody in America is doing every day, right? I don't like Instagram very much. I think Adam Musari as a CEO talks about, he has his little talks every week where most recently he did a video, which Hank Green, iconic YouTuber actually responded to and told him to go F himself, which is crazy to hear Hank Green say that. But Adam Musari opened this video where he's like, well, we can't figure out how to monetize creators yet. So we've decided to give you guys NFTs, which was so dumb because yeah, figured out how to monetize creators. Well, your entire platform is based on creators. You're the billions of dollars of revenue you bring in a year. Give us half of that and you would satiate the entire creator marketplace entirely, but you don't want to do that. Transparently right now, I just got my very first Instagram bonus a month ago and it takes 349 million views 
to get $35,000. I don't know a single creator in the universe that's going to get 359 million views on Instagram. No one is. It's impossible. But they created that. That way they don't have to pay out creators. So I have a lot of problems with Instagram. But I can't deny that Instagram is a currency that like, oh, I have 200,000 followers on Instagram. It has opened so many more doors for me as far as the legitimacy as a creator. You know, and YouTube, YouTube's golden. It's great. It's fantastic. You should always be at YouTube and you shouldn't have any problems with it. Honestly, being a part of that shorts creator team and, and being a part of everything else they're working on, they're a company that's always been really aggressively for creators. So I say all that to say that like as much as grievances I have with those platforms and they're valid, they're terrible platforms and how they manage creators, they're really important to be on. So even if it's just uploading it at the end of the day and not looking at it again, make sure you're consistent across everything and you will grow and it's consistency. It takes a lot of time to, to find your niche. And if you do a video that does a million views and the next time you upload a version of it, it does 50,000, maybe you just upload it at the wrong time slot. Don't be afraid to re-upload a video or to try that same idea again in a week or two days, whatever. The, the shelf of short form content and short form content is kind of the future of content creation right now is much shorter. A video is viral for about a week. And if it's viral for longer than awesome. But in a week, you could re-upload the video in theory with a glossy new title and, and some captions, and it could reinvigorate a brand new audience or make the other audience who really liked it happy. So a comfortable cadence, being a great consumer is being a great creator and doing what you can to really enjoy it. If you spend a lot of your time harping on the whole, like, I got to be original and I can't do what other people are doing. The internet's big. You could actually one-to-one copy a creator and maybe your audiences would never overlap. And maybe you would have a really successful career on the other side of the internet. I'm not saying to do that. I'm saying, if you want to replicate somebody, you do replicate them and then eventually put your own spin on it. But the internet is huge and there are hundreds of millions of users. And realistically, we'd all be happy with like 20 million of our own. And if there's hundreds of millions, 20 million isn't that hard to come by if you're making stuff that you love, whether that is something that you've seen someone else do or something that you came up with on your own. That's that's really, really good advice, by the way. Um, I, I could agree with you more, you know, that we, we just have to continue being consistent and putting more content out there. That's really what it is, right? Yeah. And just, no, and look, this is a little plug of my brand, but your bad days are your best stories. So those little moments where you're like having a rough go of it, I can't tell you that the saddest moments of the last two years of my life have been the funniest things I've talked about in stand-up or the best stories when I walk into a room with all my friends to just reminisce about a terrible thing that happened. So yeah, definitely. Is. I mean, on the topic of plugs, let's, uh, let's hear how can our listeners reach out to you and learn more about you online. Yeah. So I have the main Hassan at Hassan Kader presence everywhere. It's a lot of Mickey Mouse stuff, but the uh, the main thing project that I've been working on recently is my podcast, Bad Days. You can look up Hassan Kader Bad Days on YouTube or go to my main channel and you'll scroll to the homepage and it's right there. And I've been doing that podcast weekly with friends. Other than that, I'm a pop culture host for the Comic Storian on the Comic Storian main channel, as well as their new channel, Absolutely Marvel in DC, where I review everything from comic book Marvel and DC stuff to today. There was an episode that was released. That's me talking about Stranger things for eight minutes straight. So doing a lot, you'll see me everywhere on the internet. But if you keep up with me on Instagram, you'll get all the updates. Twitter, you'll get all the updates. But the Bad Days podcast channel on YouTube is definitely the place that I'm, I've put the most of my genuine self out there. So if you're looking to get to more of me specifically, that's where you'll go. And if you're listening to this and you love podcasts anyway, so should should plug in really, really well. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely enjoyed it. Everything you said was phenomenal right i think i'm going to re-listen to the podcast two three times after this especially as i'm editing the podcast as well but yeah thank you so much for being on the show today dude I mean, yeah thank, thank you so for much. having me i appreciated being welcomed here as an asian creator it means a lot to me hey guys we hope you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show 
We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.